welcome to Unearthing, our chats with organizers, leaders, and teachers about the powerful tools they're creating to build justice. I'm Nico Chin, founder of Up With Community. We help people learn better together. Today, we're talking about housing rights and the connections of how we build our houses to how we save our earth. Our podcast is made possible by our supporters on Patreon and PayPal. You can help us create more content at upwithcommunity.org forward slash support. I am excited to be sitting down today with Naomi Beal, director and founding member of Passive House Maine. Passive House Maine is a regional professional organization of architects, builders, and designers of the Passive House Standard. Naomi, thanks for joining us today. Thanks very much, Nico. Happy to be here. Thanks. Well, I wanted to, to start things off by um, asking you to tell us a little bit more about what Passive House Design Standards are. Um, sure. And on a sort of very elemental level, the um, standard is comprised of three different um, precise metrics. There's an air tightness standard, which is 0.5 ACH 50. I don't know. I don't know how much detail we want about that, but 0.5 ACH 50, I can get more into what that really means for people who don't know later. Um, for air tightness, the amount of energy used for heating or for cooling is 4.75 um, kilowatts per square foot per year, a very specific number. Um, and then for uh, total energy use in a building, it's limited to 38 uh, kilowatts per square foot per year. So um, just to say all of those numbers are very small and relative to a sort of average building that we have, let's say in Maine, they are about 10 or 15% of what we um, would see in an average building. So the idea is by making houses more effective in their air tightness, in their energy use, that we are conserving energy in the homes. Is there other dynamics that we're looking for in the passive house standards? Certainly the heat and the carbon and costs associated with that is one of the driving factors. In addition though, there's also a whole air quality um, interest that's part of that. There's fresh air, always part of a passive house that creates a really healthy indoors, which has great, you know, the side effect of being a really healthy indoors for, for people. Um, there's a resiliency that's inherent in building a building that is airtight and well insulated that creates a future proofing for our extreme weather. And um, that whole like low carbon um, tracking for a building is part of that. Yeah. Right. Great. So we're trying to reduce the carbon footprint of the houses that we're building. Yeah. And so just help me understand, I don't want to go too far down this hole, but how do you do both fresh air and air tightness? Yeah. In, in general. Thanks. Yeah. In general. No, thank you for giving me the opportunity to answer that because that is, it's a stumbling place for a lot of people. And it's true. When you build for to pass fast level or retrofit in an air airtight kind of way, focusing on air tightness, you have to include then uh, ventilation, and that's a mechanized system that's totally controlled. And so, different from how most of us grew up, if 
We grew up in drafty New England homes. We sort of, um, I don't know, we all absorb this wisdom that buildings need to breathe. And potentially buildings do need to breathe if they're getting wet and moldy, they need to be able to dry out freely through the walls. And that's what our drafts are. You know, um, in a passive house scenario, the walls don't get wet. There's no, um, the, there's no leaking, it's airtight and watertight building. And so you put in ventilation that um, removes the old, air and brings in fresh air. And often that air is sort of preheated. There's a whole you know, heat recovery system that's part and parcel with that. Is that the same as a heat pump or would that be different? Uh, it could be different. Yeah. Could, uh, I mean, heat pumps are heating. They're not bringing in fresh air to be with it. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, there are ventilation systems that have a little bit of preheat that's part of that, but a heat pump itself is not bringing any new fresh air to the building. Yeah. So passive house standards are about building houses that are better for our environment. And it sounds like better for our health. Yeah. And in fact, that's been an interesting sort of game of catch up. Uh, the original standard passive house standard was de designed and evolved in Europe. Mm -hmm where they have different kinds of building materials. And so building material, when we started doing passive house and stretching to those um, three metrics that I mentioned earlier, pretty often and still we use materials that were digging our carbon hole much deeper than, um, than maybe some European products did. So when we use all of those uh, petroleum-based insulation and um, you know, spray foams and steel and glass, um, sometimes those, the, the, using those materials was really digging us into a deeper carbon hole. So there's a, a sort of evolving understanding of what kind of materials we do need to use when we're giving a nod to carbon um, reduction and embodied carbon in a building. Yeah. So passive house standards are calling us to help address climate change, to make more resilient buildings and to make buildings that are healthier for us. How did you get into founding Passive House Maine and what brought you to these standards? Uh, so my story is a little bit through the back door because I started as a photographer. I was doing portfolio work for architects wow. and I just realized that the designers that I was most interested in working with were working on these really um, cool, cool buildings. Like 10 years ago, it was like, wow, what are you doing? It was all new and um, uh, kind of mission-based in a way that other, some of the other buildings that I was taking photographs of were not. Um, and I just was drawn to these, these, at that point, sort of few designers who were doing these, this really cool work. And then I had, um, the opportunity to, well, my family took the opportunity to do a sabbatical in Germany in, um, well, it was 2009, 2010. It was really quite a long time ago at this point. And um, I was still taking pictures there, but it was passive house everywhere all the time. And there were major, you know, neighborhood developments that were fully passive house. Every, you know, every building, every apartment building, every 
retail outlet, every school, every medical building, it was everything was built to pass out. So when I came home uh, in 2010, I was like, all right, let's get, like at that point, I had a lot of connections just because of the photography work that I was doing earlier and I sort of pulled together a group and we're like, come on, let's get this going. Mm-hmm. So what do you hope communities in Maine will gather from Passive House Maine? How would you like to see communities benefit from Passive House Maine? The um, really important work that Passive House Maine is working on right now is our research initiative called Retrofit Maine, which is about the retrofit of existing buildings. <laughs> new buildings are certainly very important and we definitely wanna be building all of our new buildings to the highest possible standard so that we're not in the position of having to retrofit them 20 years from now. Um, so um, building new buildings is relatively the, the lighter lift for passive house. Like we know how to do that. We have the materials to do that. We should be doing that. It's understood. Retrofits, however, are really a challenge. And um, there are 500,000 units in Maine that need attention for, um, for resiliency, for carbon reduction, for cost reduction. I, I'm, uh, I was gonna say, I'm, I'm worried about Mainers, right? You know, this year who have this combination of uh, higher energy bills because fuel has suddenly um, yeah. skyrocketed in, in price. Um, if you could um, magically insulate every building, put in some ventilation and offset all of the, you know, existing cost, uh, energy needs by with solar or some other renewable, we'd be in a really good spot. And that's what Retrofit Maine is striving to um, understand how to do these, what we would call a deep energy retrofit, a systemic approach to updating all of our old buildings um, to, uh, you know, as a path for our, our low carbon future. Uh, Maine has a, a three extremes. We have the oldest building stock in the country. We have the oldest population in the country and we have the highest proportional uh, number of households that are heated with number two heating oil in the country. So if there's any place in the US anyway that um, deserves and needs and would benefit from a concerted um, attention to retrofits, it's Maine. And um, just to put a plug for retrofit Maine, we were just recognized at COP26 by the United Nations Economic Commission for Europe um, for our work in the area of retrofits and for this very reason. Maine's buildings are small, they're underbuilt and uh, wooden, and um, we need to learn how to retrofit them. We really don't know right now. They're, it's so expensive. Mm. Congratulations. On Thank you. That's, that's, that's important work. You know, as you're talking, I'm hearing in my ear uh, something I heard as I was researching your work prior to our conversation, which was, you know, housing is a human right. And a lot of times when we talk about housing as a human right, we think about it just as any house. Mm -hmm. And we don't think about how do we push for housing as a human right for healthy, 
resilient, um, climate positive, climate supportive housing as a part of that call, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times there's a, you know, a class dynamic to that. Like, oh, yeah. only, only fancy people get fancy houses that make them healthy, you know? And it's like, yeah. and I don't think that we can demand those things for everyone. Yeah, what yeah. are you saying I do think we can demand it for everyone, especially, I mean, like, especially, especially right now, any affordable housing units, those big square, buildings that we build, those should all 100% be built to passive house standard. Like there's no reason not to. There's a fairly um, decent cost um, equity there. It, it doesn't cost much more to build to passive house standard um, for those simple, large shapes. We know how to do that. We should be doing that. And absolutely the work of Retrofit Maine is based on an equity approach and that it is a case of, of housing equity equals climate equity equals climate justice housing justice it's all part of um of that i mean the 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 extremes that we're experiencing right now and will extreme will experience more um are just shine this fierce spotlight bad buildings are going to really suck. They already really suck. And when we get these torrential rains, fierce storms, um, they're going to suck more. Driven by climate change, right? As our, as the weather becomes more extreme. Precisely. Yeah. 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 And, and our approach of weatherization is, I mean, it's all hands on deck right now. So I'm actually not throwing anybody under the bus, but weatherization is weatherization. I put just used air quotes. There is um, just sort of undefined right now. Uh, what does that really mean for each building and who can afford what is absolutely part of that? Yeah. Um, yeah. And just sort of to swing back to that concept of classism with passive house, certainly in our early days when we came back and when I came back in 2010, and um, was the only kind of passive house that was being built in Maine basically was somebody's kind of fancy house with a beautiful view somewhere because those were the people that had a little bit of uh, margin for experimentation, let's say. Um, and there was, it just took a while for, um, bigger building, bigger buildings, bigger building designers, bigger building funders to sort of get on board. But it created a bit of a hole that we had to dig out of because then there was this preconceived notion that passive houses for fancy houses. And um, in reality, the German roots are absolutely a, um, like a large multifamily uh, building that they're, Passive House was developed with this idea to support the, what was called the energy venda, the energy change, the switch from uh, fossil fuels in Germany to renewables. And um, so, yeah, it was always intended to be bigger buildings. Mm. And we have some, so many fantastic examples of that in Maine already in terms of affordable housing units and our um, 
our college and university dormitories. That's another perfect example of these kind of big, kind of proud, sturdy buildings, not fancy design, but um, if you just bake in these low cost energy bills for the life of that building, all of our colleges and universities can see that that's valuable. I mean, especially any building that you're gonna hold on to for long-term, there's no question about um, <laughs> baking in, you know, the lowest possible cost while at the same time creating this comfortable and resilient building. Yeah. Well, we're going to link to your organization's website, as well as, as a couple of other um, pieces that we're going to talk about today in the notes for this podcast. And so folks that are interested in getting more details on the passive house standards, on where this is happening in Maine or around the country, uh, we'll have those links for folks to follow up on. So one of the pieces that I was eager to talk to you about, Naomi, was the equation you just talked about a minute ago, which is, um, you know, housing equity equals climate equity equals housing justice, and really centering the power dynamics of our society in a conversation about the earth and our housing. Mm -hmm. And through our connections, um, I learned about the U.S. Architects Declare Manifesto, which was inspired by a U.K. architect's declare manifesto um, a little a little while before that and in this you know u.s architects declare climate justice and biodiversity emergency right and in this they're seeking to call for architects to be raising awareness about the impacts on the climate of their industry to address disproportionate impacts of this crisis for low-income rural and BIPOC communities um, and to upgrade a lot of what the industry is offering. So I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about your thoughts about this manifesto and, and manifestos like it in the push for a lot of what Passive House Maine is working on. Hmm. I mean, a manifesto is great. We should, <laughs> we should all, you know, sign on to those. And I'm sure that I can't remember how many signed on to that. It's maybe what? a couple hundred, maybe. Yep. Um, and that's great. It's really good. And I know there's a couple from Maine that I notice are are on there. There's a bunch that are. Um, you know, kind of focused on on carbon, especially. I'm. I guess on one hand, I think it's fantastic. Of course, we should always sign that. We should be aware of that. And every manifesto gets an opportunity for a little publicity and a little awareness. That's fantastic. And then the bottom line is, you just actually also have to do the work. And um, it's tricky. Architects are in a funny position because they're beholden to their clients. And, um, and clients aren't necessarily, uh, you know, they're looking at their bottom line and um, there's housing and housing design and housing construction is a really entrenched and old industry that is hard to move. And so I live in a bubble where most everybody that I know is, you know, completely on board, but um, there's a lot of building that happens right now that is, uh, not um, meeting those best intentions as described in that in that manifesto. So it's good for publicity. We should sign on. I do believe that um, 
housing and buildings as they are 40% of the carbon uh, emitted globally and in Maine, um, you know, just under 40% of our total carbon emissions, they have to be an, an important part of the equation, important attention um, focused uh, for, for the carbon alone and then Absolutely, people just need to be able to live in a comfortable and healthy place. It's not just because that's a nice thing to do, it's for all the reasons. It's just a healthy approach to our neighbors, to our resources, to, um, to living together in our neighborhoods and in our state. Yeah, yeah. You know, one of the questions that the manifesto raised for me is, it seems like we have to have, and this, you, were, you were starting to talk about this, architects, builders, and the construction workers, builders hire, all engaged along with the consumer in valuing passive house standards and climate standards for our housing. What are ways that passive house is making inroads into that organizing across the different stakeholders in the housing market? Um, in Passive House, Maine, and as far as I know, all of the regional, you know, there's regional Passive House groups um, across the country and the world, actually. So we are actively um, in the conversations, a little bit in the, in the skirmishes that we call um, policymaking, and um, just trying to leverage all of the knowledge and experience that we have and that we um, have from our friends and neighbors to um, influence in a positive way policy, because honestly, the consumer will own, <laughs> some consumers will go beyond, above and beyond, but um, we really do need to have a building code that reflects what we want. Um, and the, the code combined with training, Pathfast Maine is also starting a builders training to sort of get people on board and um, in our way, you know, as a, the tradition of construction in New England and in the US is, as I said, it's old and it's pretty entrenched. So certainly um, workforce development, workforce training is 100% part of what we need, especially when we're talking about retrofits, where there's some specialty um, skills that really need to be developed and we're working on um, figuring out exactly what those are and how we can scale that so that we can have the impact on the existing buildings that we want. Um, yeah, I, I think more and more we see design and build firms um, kind of combining forces. In the old way, you would have a, an architect who would make a design and then you put it out to bid and see who comes back with the cheapest price or whatever for, for your builder. And more and more common with a passive house approach is um, having the builder and the designer in on the conversation from the very beginning. You can really uh, identify some efficiencies in, in that design process and some clarity about where you're gonna go and with the design, um, with that kind of teamwork, team designing, which is super important. 
those are all pieces of that very large and complicated puzzle. Yeah. What are some of the leading edges of the skirmishes today? And where 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 inroads are really trying to be made for better. We have in fairness, um, we finally have ha have rules now about the energy code needing to be updated every three years to synchronize with the international building code. Um, that's fantastic. That's new as of last June. Like it's that new. Uh, so that's great. And that will have some serious impact on the new building. Um, the, there's a lot of focus on that on building code um, and, the, and the new stuff because of it's been so long. The last, the last code that we just switched from was from 2009. So people have been building to this 2009 code for um, too long. And now the shift, there's some worry that builders won't know how to do it and don't know how to do it. And there's some pushback about it's too fast or whatever. Um, but in fact, a lot of our builders do know how to do it and will do it. And, um, and there's a lot of trainings. I think Efficiency Main Trust is doing some reasonable trainings in tandem with uh, Maine's Indoor Air Quality Council. Those are great. We, are, we have our uh, trainings in the works. I think there's gonna be a big push. Um, this conversation about uh, if public or affordable housing should be built to pass health standard, you know, that certainly is for the same reasons that um, buildings have been developed, you know, in a certain pattern for a really long time and a little bit bigger upfront costs upset that known pattern of how to, um, how to develop. So um, that's a work in progress, but I'm quite optimistic about that, um, insisting on, I mean, the bonus about a passive house approach or that high performance approach really is that, um, I don't like to use the word silver bullet, but you really, you do just get healthier buildings with lower cost and lower carbon, and there's really no downside, really. Yeah. Um, and so besides those trainings, are there any other tips or advice you would share with communities who say, you know, I'm interested in exploring retrofitting my house, or I want to educate myself on what I should be asking for in my community? Um, what else would you suggest to, com to community members that want to learn more about housing equity and climate equity in our housing justice work? Well, I would say there's there is a what we have right now is a voluntary stretch code. So we have our our standard building code, which, as I said, is being updated every three years. On top of that, we have a stretch code, and in Portland and South Portland, if they haven't already, will shortly adopt a stretch code, which is quite close to pass house standard. Not quite, but quite close. But communities need to adopt them. Uh, voluntarily. So the average community member could approach their town council or their planning board or um, you know, rabble rouse amongst themselves 
to um, bring a united voice to a town council that says, we want the best buildings. Um, we want built to the highest um, quality that we could and let's increase our community building code. Um, each town, the way that it works in Maine is that each town can, um, you know, we have the single building code for most towns and then voluntarily a town could bring in a higher building code so that every new building in that town would be built to a higher standard. You could um, rabble rouse and ask your municipality to develop the municipal buildings to a highest standard, not to a code level, not to the lowest level because that's the cheapest way, but to a higher standard that will be a longer lasting, more resilient um, building and be a beacon of leadership for the rest of the community. I think this is a really important thing that um, municipalities can do and that Augusta should do and I, I understand they are doing. You know, there are some um, demonstration projects that are happening. Um, community, community members can always donate to Passive House Maine and support our retrofit <laughs> research, which is gonna be really important. Um, we just give a little nod to Giving Tuesday here. Um, Great, I love a nod, yeah. yeah. And, and tell us how people can best connect to Passive House. Uh, www.passivehousemain.org. Um, we'll have a big donate here button um, right there. You can find us on Instagram or on Facebook or on LinkedIn. Um, there's a lot of ways to sort of spread, you know, what we're, what we're doing. Um, yeah, we're at excited about about that work um, and this I think that the individuals who want to update their own homes I think they're in a tricky place right now because our, the options really are either you know how to do it um, on your own and you can you can do your insulation or manage your contractors or it's very very expensive yeah and um, and that's a super tough trade-off that we have right now. Um, there are definitely some weatherization programs through Efficiency Maine, um, through certain towns, and uh, you, you can look that way. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that. As I said, it's all hands on deck, whatever we can do for whatever buildings. But what we're focusing on is a systemic approach to buildings and really learning and understanding how we can do a deeper energy retrofit that will last for those 50 years, you know, um, an approach that won't require another top off before 2050. Yeah. Uh, an approach that's just long lasting with um, all of those built in cost savings, carbon savings, resiliency, and healthy living. Yeah. Well, that's so much in line with how Up With Community approaches the world, right? We're not just about what can one individual do by themselves off alone, right, right. but how do we come together and create systems change? So talking about building codes, talking about what we can do in these larger buildings and institutions as a beacon for what we can, what we hope to do throughout the community um, really resonates with a structural approach that we take to power and equity. So Naomi, I really appreciate getting to chat with you today. You've been so generous with your time and uh, we'll put all of your links into the notes here. 
And uh, yeah, thank you so much for your work. You're so welcome, Nico. Really, thanks very much for um, your interest and for having me on.